0: What does it take to become an adventurous person? How much work is required before you leave? And what do you need to learn before you go on your adventure? Sherry Jo Wilkins does not consider herself to be a brave or landish person, but she is an adventure rider. And coming up today, Sherry Jo Wilkins gets her first taste of adventure on a sailboat film trip, which leads to, naturally, a motorcycle adventure. See, many riders we speak to here on Adventure Rider Radio have learned their lessons or their trade of travel and adventure through the school of hard knocks, or you could say baptism by fire, meaning much of what you need to know about adventure and travel is learned by experiencing it. So while some wait for the right time or more information, others would argue that some of it, at least if not all of it, can only be learned by doing it. is Nick Sanders I'm Jason Spafford
1: and I'm Lisa Morris my name is Austin Vince. This is Rob Beach.
0: I'm Rachel. This is Ed March. This is Glenn Hickstead. This is Dr. Gregory W. Fraser. This is Dave Barr. This is Alan Carl. This is Tiffany Cope. Hello, here's Herbert Schwartz. I'm Brett Tax. This is Zoe Cano. This is Nathan Millward. My name is Graham Hoskins. This is Joe Rust. Hi, this is Jeremy Craker. I'm Simon Thomas.
1: And I'm Lisa Thomas.
0: It's Simon Pavey here. Hi, this is Grant Johnson. This is Robert Wicks. This is Elisa Workler. This is Ted Simon.
1: You're listening to Adventure Rider Radio.
0: This episode is brought to you in part by Max BMW Motorcycles, outfitting adventure riders since 2002. 45,000 parts and accessories online and ready to ship to your door at maxbmw.com. Sign up for their e-rider newsletter too at maxbmw.com. That's maxbmw.com and Best Rest Products, home of Cycle Pump Tire Inflator, Tire Iron Bead Breaker, Easy Air Tire Gauge, and other adventure motorcycle gear. You know, when you're on the road or off the road, for that matter, you'll want a compact and reliable tire inflation method. The Cycle Pump runs right off your bike's electrical system and can fill a flat tire in less than three minutes. Made in the USA and with a five-year warranty. Check it out at www.cyclepump.com. That's www.cyclepump.com. Hi,
1: this is Elizabeth Martin. I'm the co-producer of Adventure Rider Radio.
0: The Good Adventure Company is a motorcycle outfitter that donates its profits to sustainable charities. They specialize in soft luggage and only sell products they've tested and believe in. And now they're offering guided motorcycle tours. Visit them at www.good-adv.com. That's www.good-adv.com. Sherry Jo Wilkins is originally from Indianapolis in the United States. She is now living in Australia full-time as a resident. Her first adventure was jumping on a sailboat where a guy was filming for the Discovery Channel and that gave her the taste that she couldn't let go of and from there she turned to a motorcycle and headed out to travel the world. Today we're going to talk with Sherry Jo about this trip and she calls it the Because I Can World Tour.
1: Joe Wilkins. I was born in Indianapolis, Indiana, and residing in Adelaide, South Australia, and I'm an adventure rider.
0: Sherry Jo, welcome to Adventure Rider Radio. Thank you. You have quite a trip you've done here. I'm just looking at the map, the route that you've done, and you circumnavigated the world. But you started in South Australia, and you're from the United States. How did you end up in Australia?
1: originally a man. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I was invited um, from America to come over and be part of uh, an adventure on a boat, on a sailboat. We sailed the Pacific Islands and he was making an adventure documentary, a travel adventure documentary. And he invited me to come along, which was the most exciting thing that ever happened to me at that time. And it was uh, a very easy decision. I've always had this um, yearning to be in the adventure world. I just wasn't sure how I was going to do it myself. And so to have an invitation like that was just not going to be passed up.
0: So you went and you rode on this boat and he made a um, a documentary of it?
1: Mm-hmm, yep.
0: And, and did that get shown anywhere?
1: Yeah, it was on the Travel Channel. It was on the Travel Channel for a couple of years. There were 13 episodes of the ones I was involved in, but yeah, he did he did some other... Um, previous documentaries on that same channel.
0: Oh, that'd be pretty exciting. Yeah. So, it, so that really gave you a taste for adventure, I'm sure.
1: Absolutely, because that's how I got um, inspired to be in, well, to I don't want to call myself an adventurer, but I guess I am. I was uh, working in the family business all my life and worked six days a week. And on the seventh day, Sunday, I'd always have the travel channel on in my house while I was cleaning and doing laundry everything i just had it on in the background and i felt like at the end of the day i'd been through like eight different countries just by having the travel channel on all day
0: <laughs> <laughs> hmm.
1: yeah so it was a dream come true to be part of one absolutely
0: and you fell in love with australia when you when you landed there
1: absolutely the moment i got here
0: when did you decide to actually become a citizen
1: yeah um i was in oh i was here probably 5 years
0: So this was after your motorcycle trip that you became a citizen.
1: Yeah, it no, it was before the motorcycle trip. So I had finished the adventure on the sailboat, and then I was back here in South Australia working, and applied for my citizenship. And that you have to go through a a process. You probably might be aware of permanent residency, and then um, application for citizenship.
0: Now, your your motorcycle trip, which is was a huge endeavor, I believe you spent three and a half years on the road riding your motorcycle around the world. How do you go from landing in Australia and starting a new life and, and doing this adventure, how do you go from that to riding a motorcycle around the world? Now, I understand you, you did ride motorcycles in the States, but you weren't at the time in Australia. So tell us how that whole thing came about.
1: Uh it- It pretty well just came about when I was searching to have my my own business and I was investigating, you know, a whole different track in life. And I was having trouble making a decision about which way I wanted to go next because I was working. I was enjoying my life. I have a good life. I have a wonderful home. I absolutely love the country that I live in. But um, just like anything, you want more. And I wasn't sure what I wanted. But um, when I put my foot down, On the day that I was to make a decision, you know, the idea to ride a motorcycle around the world just literally came into my head out of nowhere, and I argued with myself about that for quite a while, to be honest. I thought I had gone a little bit crazy. (laughs) I didn't have a motorcycle. I wasn't intending to ride a motorcycle. I didn't even want to ride a motorcycle. And when I started whittling down what all those things meant to me, it was I would I wanted more world travel. I wanted to explore the world more, but how do I do that? And there was a, a young girl in Australia who was only 16 years old, and she sailed a boat around the world solo. And I was like, wow, you know, that young girl is able to travel the world on her own at 16 years old. Surely there's something I can do. But there was no way I was going to sail a boat. I, You know, that being out on water for weeks and months on end doesn't turn me on. You know, I I like um, land. (laughs) I like good food. I like different cultures. That was more important to me. So um, how can I do that? Well, do I want to backpack around the world? And backpackers have their position in life, but it it didn't inspire me. And the only thing that actually came to mind that inspired me was doing it myself. So on a motorcycle, not a car, obviously a car would be, you know, far more involved in transferring between countries and over oceans you know that was just going to be far too difficult so the motorcycle just made sense
0: so it's interesting just a pragmatic approach really is what brought you to the motorcycle but with the motorcycle comes so many other problems and there's there's all the dilemmas that go with it aside from just transferring the the machine from one country to another there's dealing with repairs and outfitting it and, and and all the gear that you have to ride that wasn't enough to turn you off of that
1: No. What was interesting about getting into all that research and understanding all those things you just mentioned was I knew nothing about any of it. And anytime I made an inquiry, the people I would be talking to were inspired by what I wanted to do and they were just so willing to help so I got so many questions answered I got so many ideas I was guided in in all the best directions you could think of and and it's one of those things that dings a bell in your brain at least in my brain it did it's like you're getting so many yeses you're getting so much support from people you've never met before this is definitely meant to be
0: you didn't run into the exactly. naysayers that were saying, you know, you're a woman, you're going to go on a, on a massive trip on a motorcycle, which is extremely, or at least inherently dangerous, um, and, and traveling alone again. You didn't have those naysayers?
1: Yeah, I did, but... It seems they didn't come out of the woodwork until I was just about ready to leave. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, good for you. <laughs> that's, that's good. So you you decide you want to ride this this trip, which is a huge trip. I mean, anyone who's thinking of anything like this, if you were backpacking, it would be a matter of you know going through and looking at at your visas and of course vaccinations and flights and things like that. But like I say, the bike adds so much more to it and you decide that you want to do this. Where are you going for information when you're mentioning that you're going to people and asking for, uh, or at least making inquiries?
1: Oh, I had a lot of good places that I went to. The num- the first thing I went to was Google. <laughs> you
0: <know>? Of course. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and um, Google directed me to Horizons Unlimited, and the people, um, Susan and Grant Johnson, answered not only my direct emails, they sent me some DVDs, which they had prepared for how to gear up, you know, and how to obtain visas, how to plan your route. All those sort of things were in their DVDs. And so I was studying those like a book. And um, when I would be studying, excuse me, something they were talking about, it would just direct me into more and more and more study, more and more and more research. And the more you do research, the more you ask questions, the more you ask questions, the more people you meet. And it was just snowballing.
0: So how long did you do your prep work for?
1: Oh, from the time I got the idea to leave to the time that I left was six months.
0: Wow, that's a a good long time. Uh, What what did you do for things like insurance and and all those technical aspects? Did you handle all of that ahead of time?
1: Yeah, I handled what I could ahead of time. Uh, There was no option to get insurance for the motorcycle for... Um, everywhere that I wanted to go. So that just came to be in each individual country. I would purchase motorcycle insurance. My health and accidental death, all those sort of things, came from a company in Australia, and and that was just a a yearly fee. Um, Yeah, that would cover the two insurances that I, I went after.
0: And what did you do for a bike?
1: For which bike did I choose? Yeah. Yeah. I in my research, I listened to, I focused on actually women who had been doing long distance travel on motorcycles. And I found a few of them made a, a common comment. And that was that if they were to do it again, they would do a smaller bike. And I thought, well, what did that mean? That most of them wrote a, that I, in my research, you know, everybody rides something different, but the ones that made the comments were on 650s, 800s or higher. And I, in my research found what was available to me here in Adelaide, not for the world, but what was available to me here that I could actually go touch and feel and sit on and, and figure out what would work for me. And there were four choices here in Adelaide at the time, and that was the uh, Yamaha Tenere, the KTM 690 Enduro, the BMW 650, and then there was an Aprilia Pagasso. Those were the four I was considering at the time. I literally put everything down on paper. I I didn't have a chance to ride them all. I just put them on paper. And I thought to myself, you're, you're not the strongest woman in the world and you're traveling alone. The thing I really wanted to focus on was getting the smallest, lightest bike I possibly could, which was the KTM 690 Enduro. And the weight of that bike alone came up to be 138 kilos dry. And in comparison to the BMW 650, that bike weight, if I remember, 199 kilos dry. That was the difference in weight.
0: Oh, wow. That's considerable.
1: Yeah. And for the the same sort of power, I, I went with the KTM.
0: So you're riding the, the KTM 690R. And what was that like for maintenance?
1: Maintenance was really good. I'm not a mechanic, so I can't talk about what it was like for maintenance <laughs> as um, from my own experience with the tools. But um, I was well prepared with where mechanics would be in in most places that I needed to go, and I followed very strictly my maintenance intervals that were recommended by KTM for that bike, and I felt like that is what gave me such a good ride around the world, because I really had such good luck with that bike, um, up to 100,000 kilometers, so it was... um, you know, you'd have your oil change intervals you, and there was really no other mechanics that went horribly wrong. A couple small things, but nothing, you know, worth mentioning. So um, the bike treated me very, very well. And I hope to say that I treated it very, very well.
0: You've got your gear, you've got your bike, you're prepared to go. How did you choose your route? And by the way, in your route, I noticed you missed Canada, but we'll get to that later. <laughs> How yeah. did you choose your route?
1: I, I, you just sort of wing it. Um, I, I was able to plan up to Russia, and that became a really big issue. The planning in the planning stages. While I was here in Adelaide, I was trying to plan the entire world, and I was starting to get um, stressed and panicked about how how to figure everything out on my own. It was just too much to figure out. I was, you know, preparing my house for tenants to move in. I was trying to finish my job and train a new person to take over my work. Um, figuring out what gear I should take, figuring out how to put a website together, figuring out all too many things in six months. And when I was planning the route, it, I, I just started to panic about knowing everything about everything. So I um, had some good advice just to plan it in stages. And so I, I, I had up to Russia, which the first three months of my trip, I should put that in perspective, about the first three months of my trip was somewhat planned and then my goal with myself was just to reassess it at that three-month stage and find out what I wanted to do and where I wanted to go from there. And that worked out really, really well. Um, firstly, because I had a, a family, um, my father, I should say a death in my family, my father passed away while I was in Russia, which meant I had to leave Russia and come back. And when that happened, the seasons were changing. You know, winter was nearly arriving, and I had to rethink about what I needed to do anyway. So, even if I had planned further ahead, I probably couldn't achieve some of those goals just because the season was changing.
0: Did you fly out with your bike?
1: Yes, I flew from um, Australia to Japan, and from there I was on ferries until I was finished with Europe. And then my next transfer over water was from London to Halifax, Canada. <laughs>
0: So you did go to Canada. Okay. I I didn't see that on your list of countries. I'm very pleased to hear that. How did you enjoy Halifax? No, I I won't go there. (laughs) No, I was curious, when you left Russia, did you manage to, just for that short jaunt, um, when your dad passed away, did you manage to leave your bike in Russia or did you have to fly it out with you?
1: No. Okay, I misunderstood your question. Yeah, I had uh, some place to store it while I flew home.
0: And they were fine with it? They let you fly out? They, They didn't ask questions about it?
1: Oh, they absolutely ask questions. But I had also was prepared for that country with a multiple entry visa. And regardless of the reasons, I had already had a visa that was going to allow me to exit and enter more than once.
0: I've had a a conversation recently with several different people actually about um, the over-preparing and how, you know, especially today, you know, with the information being so easy to access and like you mentioned Google, I mean, it's just, the world is literally at our fingertips and we tend to, a lot, at least some of us tend to get excited about things and, and over plan. You had that first section planned. Did you find yourself coming to the end of that and thinking, okay, I've got a plan on the next section or did you, find a rhythm there of of no plan.
1: Are you talking about after I left when I was finished in Russia?
0: Well, you mentioned that you had your first 3 months uh, planned out, you know, rather thoroughly. I'm talking about so as you come to the end of that were you setting out and planning the next one or
1: Yeah. Um what I did was put them in small sections. So I would I would look in a, ahead. I would look maybe 2 to 3 weeks ahead and figure out borders. Um, There were very few countries that required um, a whole lot of visa work in that part of the world because I have two passports. I have an American and Australian passport, which gives me a lot of freedom. So um, Russia obviously required a huge visa, and that multiple entry was so important. But once I got out of there, I I really didn't need to do a whole lot of um, visa work. It was more just routes and... um, considering the season, so the one thing I learned when I was researching the, the journey was when the winter starts coming and you're on a motorcycle you want to aim towards the equator
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah and I, I needed to go into the northern even though I wanted to go south I needed to go north because I had a, a wonderful um, sponsor for my motorcycle gear called Ruka and they're located in Finland And even though it was cold and icy and and a bit snowy, I still turned north and um, very happily went to visit them because I was quite excited to see them. And once I was finished there, I literally had one goal in mind, and that was to head south. And I just sort of did what I did along the way. I didn't have any huge plans. So when I got to a, a certain location over the Alps, which was Croatia, once I was over the Alps, everybody said you're pretty well safe for the rest of the winter as long as you're you're in this part of the world. I'm like, that's great. But it was just raining so much. It was still cold, and it, was, it wasn't it was as cold as the north, obviously, but it was still cold, and it was raining so much because of the winter. And I thought, well, if I'm going to keep aiming south, that puts me down into Africa. And I just wasn't horribly keen to be in Africa on my own at that time. And, and I got another idea. What if I just stopped and let the winter run its course a little bit and actually just enjoy a country and a culture if I can? And that was the best decision I made. I found a place to house sit in Tuscany. And the people gave me this beautiful country house in the vineyards to look after for three months with their gorgeous dog. And I literally just stopped for three months, ate a lot of pasta, drank a lot of wine.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That sounds like a vacation in itself right there.
1: It was, and I didn't really, you know, it, it was a lot of hard work, and I, I, don't, I didn't think about it until after, but I actually really needed that break. Um, not only was just the, the trip through Russia challenging, you know, just more, I, I hadn't ridden on dirt before. I wasn't an adventure rider before I left. Um, riding through Russia gave me a heck of a lot of learning experiences, <laughs> And with my father passing away right in the middle of that, it was just like, oh, you know, now I can stop. Now I can take a break. I really, and, and that's what I did.
0: I can imagine it being a bit of an emotional roller coaster for you. Uh, you. You take off on the trip, and and you're on your own. I mean, you know, uh, th- th- there's um, there's something to be said for that, isn't there? When you when you leave, I mean, sure you're around people, but you're not around your familiar people. You're not around your familiar uh, surroundings. You're in foreign countries. Uh, what was that like by the time you arrived to Russia? And and where did it become uh, more um, routine for you? At what point did it change into that?
1: Oh. Uh... Gosh, not for a good long while. I was lucky enough to meet an experienced adventure rider, Walter Kolbach, who guided me through um, the first part of Russia. And he, I was just so lucky to ride with him because he taught me so many big lessons about how to handle... Um, the gravel, the water crossings, the hazard, it was just hazard after hazard after hazard. And I think I learned all my motorcycle lessons just in the first two weeks of Russia. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) (laughs) And which was ideal and absolutely perfect because it set me up for the rest of the world when I was on my own. So, um, after spending some time with him, then I was, when I was on my own again, um, I still had my fears because before I had a backup plan. I had somebody to pick me up if I fell, and I had somebody to give me advice or inspiration or whatever I needed when I was learning. And when I was first on my own, I was just scared of everything. And I remember the challenges in my brain were, I always argue with myself. (laughs) You know, you can do it. No, you can't. You're really stupid if you think you can. No, you can do it. No, you can't. (laughs) And um, a big lesson I learned um, when I was on my own, I, I used another part of the world as well, which was just take baby steps. You know, go go down the road. If if you think the road is going to be that bad and it's going to kill you, just go 20 kilometers or 50 kilometers. And if it's truly that bad, there's no rule that says you have to complete that road. It's only you making yourself do it. So um, if I had chosen to turn around, I was given myself the freedom to do that. And luckily I can't think of any place that ever happened. If I just took these little baby steps and got myself out there, then the rest of the way was okay.
0: When you said lessons, you learned all your motorcycle lessons in the in the first part of Russia there. What lessons?
1: Um adventure riding lessons.
0: <laughs> well give me an idea. What what are a few that come to mind?
1: How to how to ride on dirt, how to ride on gravel roads, how Um, how to keep the knees loose and the elbows loose and and let the motorcycle move below you rather than trying to control the motorcycle.
0: In hindsight, would you have taken a course to, you know, to maybe learn how to ride off-road realizing what you had to go through?
1: Uh, Yes. And I actually tried to do that when I was researching the trip. I was also researching places where I could learn to do these things. And there was just nothing available at the time. And me being the unpatient person that I am, I wasn't going to wait a whole nother year to take this journey because I wanted to take some lessons. I just don't have the patience for that. So um, call it ignorance or (laughs) naive. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I was just um, too ready to go and hoped for the best.
0: And it worked out. You managed to, to learn the skills, keep the bike upright for the most part, and um, and complete the trip. Did you have any serious problems when it comes to riding?
1: Not, I mean, obviously when you're learning, you, you have plenty of problems and that's the learning process is overcoming them. So yeah, I, I went into my water crossings um, either too slow at first, which would cause the bike to stall. And then I was going through them too fast, which just caused me to fall over anyway. And, you know, just learning to assess the water crossing, go at a nice constant speed was what I needed to learn. But by falling over and by going too slow and stalling, it helped me determine then in the future what would be the best speed for that particular water crossing. Uh,
0: learning through the school of hard knocks. You mentioned you're not a mechanic. So what happens when you, you know, you're, you suck water in the engine or, or something else happens? What do you do for repairs?
1: Well, um, luckily I had my wonderful teacher Walter with me during those days. So um, he taught me as soon as you can get that bike standing upright and just start it. You know, start first of all. You want to kill the switch as soon as you go underwater, and then as soon as you get it upright, start it as quick as you possibly can. The the quicker you can get the motor running, the more likely you can ride it out. So um, yeah, those were the lessons I remember from that particular. Crossing
0: Yeah. So running into Walter Kolbach was uh, a fantastic thing for you at the start.
1: Oh, I couldn't have been any luckier. I couldn't have found a better teacher and I couldn't have been any luckier.
0: Are you hoteling it on the trip or were you camping?
1: Uh, both. Absolutely both.
0: Yeah. Did you start out going through Russia camping or, or were you just sticking with hotels to begin with until you got the feel of things?
1: I was more willing to camp and Walter was more into finding the hotels and his trip was shorter than mine. Mine was for the whole world. His was just to do Russia. So, um, the good thing is, is when you travel with a buddy, uh, you know, anywhere in the world, you, you share accommodation costs. So, um, that worked out, that worked out fine. And then when I'm on my own, I mostly camp.
0: And where did you part ways?
1: In Irkutsk. Which is um, down the bottom in the middle of Russia, just um, below Lake Baikal. If you know where that is.
0: Yeah, and at, and at what point was this? How many months are you into your trip? Oh
1: gosh, I was. This was only the second month into my trip, but um, we were we rode together, um, two or three weeks. Yeah, only a short time.
0: So only two months into your trip, and then you're you're thrust out on on your own. Um, what, what was that like?
1: Oh, I was nervous. My first big test was Mongolia, and. I I was really, really scared to do Mongolia on my own. I didn't know a whole lot about it. I can honestly tell you that I didn't research all my roads to the nth degree. Like, I didn't research the countries to the nth degree. I actually enjoyed things being a surprise. Uh, I knew a little bit about Mongolia just because I watched the travel channel so much. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but when I crossed the border, you know, everything was different. I had gotten used to the language in Russia. I'd gotten used to the food. I'd gotten used to where the fuel stops were and, and what it was like to purchase fuel in Russia. And then everything just changes, you know, as soon as you cross the border. And it's like, oh, you know, I just really had to take a step back and really consider what I was doing and how I was going to do this alone. And that's um, the first big country where it was very isolated. And I was very much alone that I I needed to do that baby step less. And I really had to talk myself into it. But I'm so grateful I did. If I had turned my bike around, if I had walked away from that journey in Mongolia, I would certainly be kicking myself. It's still one of my favorite places I went.
0: Were there times when you were about to do that, you know, where the stress level gets too much, and you're about to say, nah, this this is it, I'm packing it in?
1: Yeah, on the road, no. But just psyching myself up for the road, yes.
0: Before you left.
1: No. Well, when I was in Mongolia, I was when I was. Um, oh, the night before, I knew I was going to do a long stretch of road. I was up a lot of that night, just trying to talk myself into it and arguing against doing it, because I really felt like I'd had too short of a time of learning, I really shouldn't be out in Mongolia by myself, I I just don't have the adventure skills, the survival skills, and I felt like it was really wrong, and I honestly felt like it was really stupid and irresponsible to do what I was doing. And then my other side of my brain was arguing, but this is what you came here for, you came here for this adventure, are you literally going to turn your back around and walk away from the adventure that you put so much effort into getting to? So, um, that was the day that I took those baby steps and I did my first 20 kilometers and then I was doing 50 kilometers and I was doing 80 kilometers and it just kept getting better and better and better. I'm like, I don't know why you had to argue with yourself for all those hours during the night. This is fantastic.
0: (laughs) I think that's an excellent way to look at it. The baby steps. It reminds me of that, that movie. uh, What about Bob? I think it is where uh, that was their, their thought process for um, dealing with his problems was baby steps. You do a little tiny step. And and that's interesting. That's, that's a good way to to try and overcome the fear. And it's a fine line, isn't it? When you look at the difference between, you know, being adventurous and being foolish, and it's not really something that you can nail down because it's different for everyone.
1: Mm. Yeah, absolutely. There's a lot more brave people in the world than me. <laughs> so they would go gun ho. They'd be like, Yeah, let's do it. Let's rock it out. And I'd be like, Oh, wait a minute.
0: <laughs> well well hang on a second. Do you think it takes bravery to to go around the world on a motorcycle?
1: No. I don't think so now. I would have thought so before though.
0: But because you've done it and you realize that maybe what, it's not that hard? Exactly. How did people treat you when they find, you know, you're a woman, you're riding on your own, and you're traveling around the world? It just it seems like such a, a huge thing that you're doing.
1: I expected it to be ridiculously dangerous. I expected I'd be scared to talk to anybody. I expected I was going to be shaking in my boots all night long in my tent. And when I got out there... I got the absolute opposite reaction. As you'll hear everybody in the adventure motorcycle world say, the people just want to give so much of themselves. They are so generous and hospitable. And I always knew that I needed to rely on instincts. You learn that from a young age. And I just followed my instincts, and I let my instincts guide me whether I wanted to be somewhere or not. And there are only maybe two places in the whole world where my instinct says, you're not staying here tonight. But for the most part, um, when I would take my helmet off and I'd be alone, and people would figure out that it was a woman under there, especially in the remote parts of the world, the women would come up to me and and I remember them touching my face with their hands and touching my hands and and you know just some of them nearly looked at me like they had tears coming in their eyes, like you're a woman, you're a woman. What are you doing out here by yourself? Where's the man? <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> And I would explain to them so many times I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm, yeah, thank you.
0: <laughs> it would be fairly easy to try and convince someone else to go with you on a trip like this. And had you taken another person, or, or for instance, if Walter had just stayed along with you somehow and, and managed to extend his trip, do you think the trip would have been lesser because of it, or, or would it have been better?
1: It, either or, because I've had those experiences for the entire journey, there'd be great periods of time on my own, and there'd be great periods of time where I was traveling with somebody. Uh, You meet people on the road and decide to ride together. And when you ride together, you find that the people are less likely to come up to you and and have a chat and invite you to their home and so forth because they see you're looked after. You've you've got each other. They're like, oh, there's a couple. They might ask them questions about the motorcycle and the trip, but not necessarily invite you home and when you're on your own or at least i felt like when i was on my own no matter where i stopped people would ask how am i doing do i know which roads i'm taking would i like to come back to their house for a meal would i like to stay you know in their house and you know the generosity always blew my mind and when I thought about it more deeply after I'd been traveling for a while. I was like, yeah, it's, it's very, very clear. When you're on your own, you have more opportunities to meet people and you have more opportunities to experience their culture and their lifestyle. And when you're traveling together, you tend to um, find your accommodation and only talk to each other rather than talking to the locals, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, you sort of push your comfort zone more, don't you? If, you, if you're by yourself. You're forced to do it. You have no choice. Yeah. So, so I guess as humans, you know, our natural instinct is to, to possibly, at least for a lot of us, to sort of pull back and, and stick with things we're comfortable with or we know if it's available.
1: Yes. Yeah. And that makes sense. You know, if you logically think about it that way, it, it makes sense. But it wasn't something that I expected before I left. I really expected before I left to be far more alone than I wanted to be. And, and I, I did that on purpose, I thought. But it turned out the absolute opposite. I rarely found time to myself. I actually had to go looking for time for myself because so many people were so wonderful and giving that I I sometimes felt like I appreciate what everybody's given me. It's beyond what I expected, but I need some time alone now.
0: Before you ended up at that rough position in Tuscany where you're eating cheese and drinking wine, up until that point, did you run into any major problems?
1: No. No, nothing major, no. There was one small motorcycle thing, but um, we were prepared for it where a, a subframe bolt broke on on the motorcycle, and, and because it was a warning to me before I left, um, the spare bolts were there, and we were able to fix it.
0: Oh, you took the bolts with you?
1: Yeah. Yeah. My motorcycle, the KTM um, 690 Enduro, is not made for adventure travel. It's an Enduro bike, and I turned it into a bike that was carrying, you know, panniers, a lot of extra weight and extra fuel. You know, with, um, I was luckily sponsored by Safari Tank, so we had a, a larger fuel tank on there than normal. And with the extra weight of everything um, for a motorcycle that wasn't necessarily set up to carry it, you know, it was just sort of expected that, that those bolts, and I wouldn't have known that if I wasn't told, but um, those bolts were expected to have trouble holding up.
0: You've mentioned sponsors a couple of times. How did you manage to get sponsors for, for a trip that you hadn't done before?
1: Yeah, it surprises me even still, but they are—they said yes. You know, I, I just asked and, and they said yes. And um, again, when I first started talking to you and, and I got all of those yeses when I was making my inquiries, um, I didn't expect half of them. And it was because of the yeses that definitely put me on the track. It was no longer something to consider. It was a trip I was going to take no matter what.
0: What did you have to do for your sponsors? What were you sort of obligated to give them back? Were you doing a daily blog or, or, or some sort of internet connection?
1: I did uh, a blog. It wasn't necessarily daily. I did my best to keep it up to date, but travel and life would get in the way every now and then. But the photographs I was taking and the blog that I was writing was enough to them because I asked them several times, what can I do for you? Do you want me to do this or that? And they said, no, you're, you're doing exactly what we want you to do. So they were happy with, with the Facebook, with the blog, with the photographs. I should actually give you a little bit more information. Now that I'm back in Australia, um, I do um, still have a, a close relationship with Tech Australia and i give presentations for them from time to time and i like to be at the anything i can do to support them they've supported me so much tour and safari tanks are um, under the same hat in victoria and in australia and so um you know they've they've come to me again with my new motorcycle that i have and we've got another new safari tank and we've got more Touratech gear and um, in return, you know, they. I'm still traveling and I'm still posting my photos. I've got a new blog starting. I've got a new website starting. So, um, yeah, it's it's a win-win situation for both of us.
0: Find out more about Sherry Jo by visiting her website, sherryjoewilkins.com. <laughs> Just to let you know, today's episode of Adventure Rider Radio was recorded right here in, well, I guess you could say the outskirts of Revelstoke, British Columbia, as we sit uh, with the back of the studio open, the sun shining in, the fresh air around. You may even heard there somewhere in in this episode, you might have heard some woodpeckers calling or maybe some ducks or something like that. (laughs) That's all to do with uh, environmental recording, you could call it. And it's great fun being on the road, I'll tell you that. And don't forget to visit the advertisers that help make this show possible. For this episode, we have Max BMW, the good adventure company, and of course, Best Rest. This episode is brought to you in part by Max BMW Motorcycles, outfitting adventure riders since 2002. 45,000 parts and accessories online and ready to ship to your door at maxbmw.com. Sign up for their e-rider newsletter too at maxbmw.com. That's maxbmw.com. And Best Rest Products, home of Cycle Pump Tire Inflator, Tire Iron Bead Breaker, Easy Air Tire Gauge, and other adventure motorcycle gear. You know, when you're on the road, or off the road for that matter, you'll want a compact and reliable tire inflation method. The Cycle Pump runs right off your bike's electrical system and can fill a flat tire in less than three minutes. Made in the USA and with a five-year warranty. Check it out at www.cyclepump.com. That's www.cyclepump.com. The Good Adventure Company is a motorcycle outfitter that donates its profits to sustainable charities. They specialize in soft luggage and only sell products they've tested and believe in. And now they're offering guided motorcycle tours. Visit them at www.good-adv.com. That's www.good-adv.com. Wow, that about wraps up another episode of Adventure Rider Radio. We hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as we did making it. Because today especially, I'm sitting here, as I already said, with the sun shining in the, the back of the studio. And the studio, in case you were wondering, is, is really a trailer at this point That's been that we've customized just for us to travel in and record in as we make our adventure. Which is sort of open-ended as we head across the country of Canada, and who knows from there. We'll see what happens, but we will keep you informed as we go. Check out the website for some updates and Facebook and Twitter we're on Facebook. You just have to search for Adventure Rider Radio. We're on Twitter. It's Adv Rider Radio um, at Twitter. And of course, that's put the at sign in front of that, obviously. I'm Jim Martin. This is Adventure Rider Radio. Now it's time to get out there and ride your bike. Ride safe. Wait, 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 wait! Before I forget, don't forget to drop by our website. Send us your show comments, your suggestions, whatever you want. Click on the the comment button and send us your thoughts for the day. We're happy to hear from you, and we love what we've been getting so far. We've been getting a lot of feedback from a lot of listeners. and It's been absolutely fantastic. You can, of course, send us a message on Facebook or do all the other things, but we really like the website. We'd like you to go there. Drop by www.adventureriderradio.com. Adventure Rider Radio is made possible through Canoe West Media and special thanks to our fantastic co-producer, you know her, Elizabeth Martin.